Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians, and the text for the sermon today is taken from Philippians 3, the first part of verse 1. There the apostle writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. May the Lord bless the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, the experience of the believer in Christ often alternates between periods of sorrow and periods of joy. Periods of sorrow can be the result of a painful providence like a sickness or death or a financial setback. Or it could be as a result of conviction of sin or even some form of spiritual lethargy. Periods of joy, on the other hand, can be the result of a joyful providence or a sense of the nearness and presence and love of God or an extraordinary degree of assurance. But of these two extremes, joy should and indeed must be predominant. The believer is one who more often than not is joyful. Charles Spurgeon says, joy should be the normal state of the Christian. And there's good reason for this. It's because the believer in Christ has been forgiven. All of his sins have been washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And as a result, he is reconciled to God. He enjoys peace with God. He has been adopted as a child of God. And one day, he will live and reign with God in heaven to all eternity. And the believer knows this because that's what the Bible says. And this is why he is joyful. But sometimes the believer needs to be reminded of this. Sometimes he needs to be reminded, yes, even commanded, to be joyful. And this is precisely what the Apostle Paul does in the words of our text, Philippians 3, verse 1. There the Apostle writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So Paul here commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And it's to that subject that we turn our attention today with the help of the Lord. My theme is the Christian's duty to rejoice. And we'll consider, first of all, the nature of this rejoicing And secondly, the reasons for this rejoicing. The Apostle writes, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, the word finally that begins our text seems to indicate that Paul is bringing his letter to a close. But Paul doesn't always use that word to signal a conclusion. Sometimes he uses it to signal a transition. And so it is in this case. It could therefore be translated as furthermore, or now then, or so then. Now this is the case here as well. Paul's main purpose in writing this letter was to inform the Philippians how he was doing, as well as to acknowledge them for their gift, and to exhort them to pursue after godliness, and to inform them that he was planning to keep Timothy with him in Rome while sending Epaphroditus back to them. Now having achieved all four of these purposes, Paul goes on to switch the subject, as it were. He's about to warn the Philippians against false teachers, which he does in the following verses, verses 2 and 3. 
But before he does this, he commands them to rejoice. Finally, he says, or now then, so then, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now you notice that this is a command. Paul here is not issuing a suggestion. He's not even sending forth a recommendation. He's issuing a command. He commands the Philippians to rejoice. Now in doing that, Paul is merely repeating one of the major themes of this epistle. Many times in this epistle, Paul uses the word joy or rejoice. For example, in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul writes that in his prayers to God, he makes requests for the Philippians with joy. And in chapter 2, verse 16, he exhorts the Philippians to hold fast the word of life so that he might rejoice in the day of Christ. And then in verse 17, he says that if he's being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of their faith, he is glad and rejoices, and therefore they should be glad and rejoice with him. Then in verses 28 and 29, same chapter, he informs the Philippians that he was sending Epaphroditus back to them so that when they see him, they may rejoice. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 4, he repeats the words of our text, but this time with even more emphasis, when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. In fact, the words such as joy and rejoice and glad appear so often in this epistle that some commentators have dubbed it the epistle of joy. But rejoicing is not just a theme in Philippians, it is a theme of the entire Bible. Many times, God's people are commanded to rejoice or to be glad. Think, for example, of Deuteronomy 12, verse 18. Moses writes, You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all to which you put your hands. And in Nehemiah 8, verse 10, Nehemiah says, Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the psalmist in Psalm 5, verse 11 says, But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy. Let those also whom you love your name be joyful in you. And Psalm 32, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So time and time again, the Scriptures exhort believers to rejoice. In fact, joy is one of the chief blessings of the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 61, verse 3, God says he will console those who mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And in Romans 14, verse 17, Paul says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? Well, simply put, it means to be glad. It means to be joyful. In a sermon on this text, Charles Spurgeon observes that the word rejoice consists of two words, at least in the English language. The prefix re, meaning again, and the word joy. And so he says to rejoice means to joy or to be glad over and over and over again. This is what he writes. He says we are to joy and then we are to rejoy. We are to chew the cud of delight we are to roll the dainty morsel under our tongue till we get the very essence out of it. That's what it means to rejoice. 
But the kind of joy that Paul has in mind here is a special kind of joy. This is no carnal joy. This is no worldly joy. This isn't a joy that proceeds from our own human nature. This is a joy in the Lord. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord. Now you know that as believers, we can rejoice over many things. We can rejoice over our possessions. We can rejoice over our spouse and our children. We can rejoice over the pleasures that this life brings. But Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord. Now you'll notice this is not just a mere emotion. This is a spiritual kind of joy that is rooted in a relationship with Christ. And that's why he says, in the Lord. And as such, it is a joy that only believers in Christ can experience. You see, believers have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They are united to Christ by faith. They are, in a sense, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. He is the head. They are the members of his body. And that means he will look after them. He will care for them. He will never leave them nor forsake them. And knowing that enables the believer to rejoice, yes, even in the most unfavorable and painful and trying of circumstances. A good example of that, in fact, is Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were in Philippi. They were arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. And while they were there, the scriptures tell us that at midnight, they began to pray and to sing hymns to God. Now, how could they do that? Because they knew that they were united to Christ. He was their Savior, and they were his people. And as such, they had nothing to fear, not even from the magistrates of Philippi, for he would look after them. He would care for them. He would never leave them nor forsake them. The prophet Habakkuk expresses the thought of our text very well. But at the end of his prophecy, he writes these well-known words, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, Though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So Habakkuk here envisions the most horrible circumstance imaginable to any agrarian-based society in ancient times. He envisions the fig tree not blossoming, no fruit on the vines, no olives on the olive trees, No flocks and herds in the stalls. He envisions a complete and utter catastrophe. And yet he says, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. How could he say that? Well, for the same reason that Paul and Silas could sing praises to God at midnight while they were in prison. Because he knew that God was his God and he was his child. And therefore, No matter how bad things would get, he had nothing to fear, for God, his God, would look after him. And that made him glad and joyful. One commentator writes this, and I quote, The joy of the Lord arises from leaving all our burdens at his feet, from believing that he has forgiven the past as absolutely as the tide obliterates children's writing in the sand that nothing can come which he does not appoint or permit, that he is doing all things as wisely and kindly as possible, that in him we have been lifted out of the realm of sin, sorrow, and death into a realm of divine light and love, that we have already commenced the eternal life 
and that before us forever there is a fellowship with him so rapturous and exalting that human language can only describe it as unspeakable. Well, my friend, what about you today? Do you know something of this kind of joy? You say, where does that kind of joy come from? Well, I said earlier, this joy is a spiritual joy. and That means it's wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit of God. And that stands to reason. According to Galatians 6, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, Paul observes that the Thessalonians received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So true spiritual joy is the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart. Now it's true, of course, the believer is not always joyful. I already mentioned some reasons why that is the case. It could be a painful providence, like a sickness or a death. It could be the effects of sin or conviction of sin or spiritual lethargy. Nevertheless, he should be joyful. In fact, he is required to be joyful. We are commanded to be joyful. Well, is that true for you today? Are you joyful in the Lord today? You know, sadly, some believers are rarely, if ever, joyful. They never seem to smile or laugh. They never get a sparkle in their eye when they speak about the Lord. It seems all they ever talk about is the greatness of their sin and their lack of faith and assurance. And that should not be, beloved. The believer should be the most joyful person in the world. Again, I quote Spurgeon. He says, Let the devotees of Baal cut themselves with knives and lancets, and make hideous outcries if they will. But the servants of Jehovah must not even mar the corners of their beard. Even if they fast, they shall anoint their head and wash their face, that they appear not unto men to fast. For a joyous God desires a joyous people. And so believers are to rejoice in the Lord. Now why is that? That brings us to our second point. Believers have many reasons to rejoice in the Lord. In fact, in preparing the sermon, I looked up every verse in the Bible in which the believer is said to be joyful or to rejoice or to be glad. Now, I don't have the time to mention all of them right now, but let me just mention a few of the main ones. First of all, the Scriptures say that believers rejoice in God or in Christ. Psalm 35, verse 9, "'My soul shall be joyful in the Lord.'" Psalm 40, verse 16, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Psalm 64, verse 10, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord. Luke 1, verse 47, Mary says, my my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And Peter in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, speaking of Christ, says, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible. So why does the believer rejoice in God? Well, the simple reason is beautifully expressed in Lord's Day 9 of our Heidelberg Catechism. There we learn that in Christ, God is my Father, and I quote, on whom I rely so entirely that I have no doubt, but he will provide me with all things necessary for soul and body, and further, that he will make whatever evils he sends upon me in this valley of tears turn out to my advantage, For he is able to do it, being almighty God, and willing, being a faithful father. What is more, in God we have a son, who as we confess in Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism, is our prophet, priest, and king. 
As our prophet, he has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. As priest, he by the one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. And as king, he governs us by his word and spirit and defends and preserves us in the enjoyment of that salvation he has purchased for us. What is even more, in God we have a Holy Spirit who according to Lord's Day 20 of the Catechism is given to me to make me by a true faith partaker of Christ and all his benefits that he may comfort me and abide with me forever. Well, it's no wonder the writers of Scripture frequently express their joy in God. It's because he is everything that they need. He is everything that they desire. If there ever is a reason to rejoice, it is in God and who he is and what he has done. Well, my friend, do you rejoice in God today? Not just in what God does for you. It's easy to rejoice in what God does for you because he does so much. But do you ever rejoice in God himself? Is he himself your chief source of joy and delight? Secondly, believers rejoice in the worship of God. In 1 Chronicles 15, verse 16, we read that David instructed the Levites to, and I quote, appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. And in Nehemiah 12, verse 43, we read that at the dedication of the newly constructed walls of Jerusalem, the people of Judah offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. For it says, God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. But in Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist writes, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Believers rejoice in the worship of God. And why is that? Well, it's because they delight in him. They know that God delights to receive the praises of his people. And what delights God delights them also. What is more, they know how worthy he is to receive their praise. He's done so much for them after all. He created them. He provided for them. He sustains them. He saves them. He gave them everything they need for body and for soul. And the believer knows this. That's why they rejoice in worship. Well, my friend, is that true for you today? Do you also rejoice in the worship of God? Is coming together for worship on the Lord's Day the highlight of your week? Or do you just simply go through the motions? You just come to church because that's what you're used to doing, but your heart really isn't in it. And if for some reason you can't be in church, do you miss it? Do you even long for it? Are you making every effort to be there? Oh, make no mistake, virtual worship, such as become common nowadays, is a poor substitute for the real thing. What is more, it's an aberration. God wants his people to worship him together not in the privacy of their homes. And so if you're at all able to come to church, you need to come. For believers rejoice in the worship, the corporate public worship of God. Thirdly, believers rejoice in the word of God. 
In Psalm 119, verse 14, we read this, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. And again, in Psalm 119, verse 111, Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Same Psalm, verse 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Jeremiah himself spoke of this in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. So believers rejoice in the word of God. Why is that? Well, because it's the word of God. God speaks to us in creation, to be sure, but he speaks especially in his holy and infallible and inspired word. It's in the word that we hear his voice. It's in the word that we can know his will. It's in the word that we learn why we are here and how to be saved and how we are to live. And every word is given to us by God himself. The word of God, as somebody once said, is God's love letter to his people. You know, when you're in love with someone, you can't wait to hear their voice, let alone see them face to face. Now, before the onset of modern technology, the only way to communicate with a loved one was by letter. The older ones among us will remember the joy that they experienced when a letter arrived in the mail from a loved one far away. You took that letter and you opened the envelope carefully and you opened up the letter and you poured over every word. And that brought joy to your heart, didn't it? And so it should be when it comes to the Word of God, but much more so, we should rejoice in God's holy Word. Well, is that true for you today? Do you rejoice in God's Word? Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you meditate upon it? Reflect on it? Do you make use of every available opportunity to hear it preached by one of God's servants? Fourthly, believers rejoice in the salvation of God. Isaiah speaks of this in Isaiah 25, verse 9. He says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in what? In his salvation. Similarly, a few chapters later in Isaiah 61, verses 10 and 11, The same prophet writes this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. We read in Acts 8, verse 39, that after the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, that the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Why was he rejoicing? Because he'd been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer experienced the same. In Acts 16, verse 34, we read that after the jailer received the Lord Jesus, he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, why do believers rejoice in their salvation? Well, they do so because they understand from what they have been saved, which is eternal damnation in hell. What is more, they understand to what they have been saved, which is eternal life, in full and perfect fellowship and communion with God and with his people forever and ever. That's the greatest joy that anyone can ever experience, the greatest treasure. And that causes them to rejoice. My friend, does that also cause you to rejoice? Many of us have been brought up knowing the way of salvation. We've been taught it from the time that we were little children. 
The danger is that we can sometimes take it for granted. The good news quickly becomes old news, such that after a while it doesn't even phase us anymore. And we don't see the wonder of it anymore. Oh, my friend, that should not be. We should never tire of hearing the old, old story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, we should want to hear it again and again and again. And every time we hear it, it should fill our hearts with joy. And so we see then that there are several reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Well, let me ask you as I close, are you rejoicing in the Lord No, it's true, of course, believers are not the only ones who rejoice in this world. Yes, even unbelievers experience some form of joy. But only believers in Christ experience true joy. And that's because the joy of unbelievers doesn't last, nor does it satisfy. Job, in Job 20, verse 5, writes, The triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is is but for a moment. Likewise, the preacher of Ecclesiastes 7, verse 6 says, like the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. Maybe some of you have been trying to satisfy your thirst for joy by pursuing after the things of this world. My friend, you will not succeed. These things may give a kind of joy for a time, but certainly not for eternity. And in the end, you will be totally miserable. In Luke 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Woe to you who now laugh, for you shall wail and weep. Why will you weep? Because you'll have to appear before the judgment seat of God one day. And if you do not rejoice in God and the things of God in this life, then you most certainly will not in the life to come. On the contrary, the Scriptures say you will be cast into hell And there you will weep and wail to an everlasting eternity. What a horrible prospect that is. Let it not happen to you. But hear rather the good news of the gospel, that God in Christ offers you true joy, joy that will endure forever and ever. You say, well, how can I partake of that joy? My friend, it can only be found in Jesus Christ. It begins by coming to him, as a poor, miserable sinner, confessing your sins, repenting of them, looking to him and his atoning sacrifice on the cross as the only hope and ground of your salvation. Those who do this will have the pardon of all of their sins and the gift of everlasting life. And knowing this, they will experience a joy that they never thought possible in this world. And that joy will continue, stronger sometimes than at others, but it will continue until the day that Christ comes to bring them home. And then their joy will finally be complete. And then, as Isaiah writes, the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. They shall go out with joy and be let out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing, before them, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Knowing this, and having this prospect before us, I say to you now, rejoice in the Lord.
Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard once again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If you want to make a donation to this broadcast, you can do so by sending us a check in any amount to 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Thank you for listening. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.